God, we're so grateful for the chance to look at your word and uh, just the opportunity to proclaim your truth in this place and to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us um, to know where our hope is and to know what our hope is in. And God, we pray that you would be speaking through this message. God, that your spirit would be here among us, challenging and encouraging us each. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today is about a a particular entrance into a particular city, as you know. Um, Also today is the day of the Masters Tournament in Augusta National, for all you golf fans. Um, (laughs) And um, and I thought about that because, you know, there's a certain expectation about people sort of entering, right? And we're going to talk about some of that with Jesus today. Uh, But today, this afternoon... Uh, in Georgia, there will be a particular entrance into the 18th green of a golf course that's going to be surrounded by throngs of people either cheering because the winner is basically already determined or cheering because it's about to be determined on this tiny little green. And just the excitement that is around that and and so many other sporting events that we see around, um, just picture the largest stadium that you can. And the group that we're looking at today is many times more. You know, often we think about, just see the text, and we see Jesus sort of, okay, he's walking into Jerusalem, and it's this, you know, gathering of uh, some disciples and all, but no, this is like throngs of people that are in town for the Passover, celebrating the Passover. Hundreds of thousands of people. Um, So much bigger than the Masters that's going to be played today in Augusta National, uh, and much more exciting, uh, definitely, and also a little bit, just a tiny bit more impactful in eternity. Um, uh, Although I will probably hopefully stop. If my antenna cooperates, I will stop and watch the Masters this afternoon. Um, So today we see, you know, we've been walking through John, and uh, we actually got up into the crucifixion uh, last week, and now in a kind of odd sequence of things, we're actually going backwards uh, to look at Palm Sunday, uh, seven days prior to where we were seven days ago. Um, and, and we're going to look at the triumphal entry. And as we've sort of, we, we studied the passage on Thursday, um, I was struck by, you know, the contrast of, you know, the past few weeks we've been walking through very slowly this final week of Jesus and, and all that he went through in this week and how a great following of people dwindled to just a few people, you know, huddled around his cross at the end. And, and then to go back and remember what uh, fanfare he came into the city with. The contrast is really very stark. And so we see in this passage in John 12, um, a few things happening. John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that that you are gaining nothing. 
look, the world is going after him, has gone after him. I'm going to read briefly a, a portion of the section uh, on, on the same story in Luke 19 as well. Luke 19, verse 28 and following. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, you're, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to him, said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. These two passages show us this beautiful entrance that Jesus is making into the city Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, many times we can sort of read past a lot that is going on here. But chiefly what is going on here is that Jesus is accepting the title of king. He, he is fully accepting the title of king in every detail of what is occurring here. He is demonstrating himself as king. It's thing after thing after thing here, and, and we actually should not be surprised that he is taking on the title of king. You see, from the very beginning, God has uh, been intended to be our king. When he formed Adam and Eve and, and put them in the garden and gave them a purpose, he was their ruler, and we were his subjects, serving on his behalf. He was always our king. And always is our king. When the nation of Israel came along, they decided that, that they wanted a king. In, in a lot of ways, this hurt the Lord's heart, even though he knew it would come, that they would reject him as king and instead seek a king that is of this world. Seeing that this would be true, God actually gave some definitions for what a king of this world ought to look like. In Deuteronomy 17, he, he gives a number of things that a king ought to be for the people. He says the king is to be chosen by God. He says the king is to be from among your brothers. He says the king is not to have many great horses. He's not to have a big army with which to go out. The king is to not have an alliance with Egypt, and as we understand it, with the world. He isn't to accumulate large sums of money. He's supposed to write out his very own copy of the law for himself to read on a daily basis. He's supposed to worship God and follow him in obedience and humility. God's desire for the people is a king that is perfect. And this is a king that is perfect. 
So Israel asks for a king, and we see that for a very short period, actually, of their history, 500 years only, they have a king in place, uh, a very long history of a people, but really only 500 years do they have a, a, an actual king on the throne in terms of a human form. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, they're actually expecting that this king that they are expecting, the Messiah, will be a king like that, will be a physical ruler who will save them from what they are going through, namely the oppression of the Romans. They believe, and it is true, that he will take up the throne of David, that will, will be, begin an uh, everlasting and physical kingdom here. And so you can tell why there's such expectation as Jesus comes into this city because it's been hundreds of years since they've had a king. And now this man has gone through Israel and performed many miracles, changing water to wine, healing the lame, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, which is chiefly pointed to in John's account. Um, they had come out because they heard he had, he had raised a man from the dead. If this is not the Messiah, then like, who are we waiting for, right? So all these come out with, with proper expectation that God is going to raise up a king. And in fact, proper expectation that this is that king. So when we look at our passage today, we see Jesus entirely accepting the role on every front. Uh, we see in uh, both passages, groups of people praising God. Uh, saying in particular, Hosanna, our God who saves, is bringing the king of Israel in. Those who have opposed Jesus, the Pharisees, come to him and say, hey, like, you need to rebuke your followers because you're saying you're the king. And Jesus says, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, <laughs> he, he, in one of, the, one of the most beautiful passages, or one of the most powerful passages, really, of Scripture, he says, I tell you, if these thousands of people were silent, the rocks would cry out for me as I come down this hill into Jerusalem. He's accepting the title of king. As they wave the palm branches, they're waving a national symbol and saying, you are our king, you are the king of Israel. He's accepting this. Even the way he rides in is an acceptance of his kingship. He gets on a donkey, a donkey that has not been ridden, uh, which is, if it's not been ridden, basically it's seen to be set apart, it's seen to be holy in a manner. Um, and the way in which he goes in, we, we talked about this some on, on Thursday, and I've talked about it before, but uh, the fact that he rides the donkey in is him literally declaring that he is the king of the city to which he is riding into. Uh, the, the way that Jerusalem sits is it, it's up, it's up on a hill, and, um, and as you come up to Jerusalem, you reach a crest, and you, it talks about the city here, Bethpage uh, and the Mount of Olives. Uh, you come to that mount, and as you get to that mount, it actually goes back down and into the city. When you reach the crest of that hill, you're supposed to get off of your whatever you're riding and walk whatever you're riding into the city, whether it be a horse or a donkey or what have you. It's a sign of respect toward the capital city. It's a sign of honor toward this is God's city. And so for Jesus to get to the city that is there at Mount Olive and say, go get me a donkey that hasn't been ridden, he's not just some random idea. (laughs) 
He's saying, bring me the donkey. Zechariah is the one that is declared, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming on a donkey's colt. And so bring this donkey and, and place me on it. And so now he rides into the city. And another interesting thing about the donkey, which again, we, we've talked about some, is that uh, had, he, had he come on a horse, he's coming to attack the city. He has no need to attack the city. He's coming on a donkey. He's coming on the limousine of the time. He's, he's going down into the city that he has conquered. If you've ever seen a presidential delegation drive through your city, right, it comes with a particular conveyance. He's not worried. He doesn't have missiles all over his car, right? He has a nice defense system, but, um, you know, he goes, not open air, you know, okay, so there's some improvements in the limousine, but, um, but he comes in because he has conquered. This is his city, and he's declaring it by everything that he says and does. Jesus is the king, and he's accepting that title completely and rightfully. At the end of the passage in Luke, it records uh, a very interesting few verses that, that tell us what Jesus was thinking as he comes into this city. Okay, so on one hand, he has fully accepted title of king over Jerusalem and, and is walking in boldly and accepting that title. But what's going on in his heart is what we've already studied in the past handful of weeks, right? He knows what's about to happen in Jerusalem. He knows how it's about to go down here. And so he says these words in Luke 19, verses 41 to 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, Jesus is a particular kind of king. And this crowd of people, this again, hundreds of thousands of people who are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna dwindles to a handful of followers at his cross saying, Lord, what next? Why did that happen? Because he didn't come as they expected. They thought that he would come and restore power to Israel and take over Rome. And we've talked about that many times. No more clear is it right, than right here. Would that you even, uh, even you had known that this day the things that make for peace, but they're hidden from your eyes. See, Jesus came to establish his spiritual kingdom, uh, to restore us to God the Father. That's what he came for. He, he didn't come in his first coming, right? He didn't come in his first coming uh, to take over in the physical. He came to free us from our bondage and restore us to God the Father. He came to be the king of our lives. 
And so the question as we consider Jesus coming into Jerusalem and in this day of Palm Sunday is what kind of king are we expecting? What kind of king do we expect? Because there's two responses that we can look at here. We, we can look at the response of the entire crowd, the multitude of the crowd that said, this king that's coming is going to reestablish our preeminence in the world and free us from Rome. And there's the other response that says, whatever happens this week, I will follow you and I will be there waiting to see what you will have me do. Picture John and Mary and the others sitting at his cross saying, Lord, I know you're on the cross. What's next? See, often we think of Jesus as the remover of our battles. Often we think that Jesus, when we accept Jesus into heart, right, it's just going to make everything easy, breezy, and perfect. That no, there's no, 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 no problems ahead. It's just free and clear. But thankfully, He's the King of our heart. And He cares more about our hearts, actually, than He does about our comfort. He cares about us knowing exactly how deep the love of the Father is and how much He cares for us and how much He poured out for us. So many of you can probably attest to the fact that when you became a believer, yes, things were turned and changed and something very different had happened to you. You had an eternal hope that is powerful, but it didn't take away all the problems of your life. It didn't give you perfect health. It, it, it didn't take away frustrations in relationship. At sometimes, yes, God steps in and miraculously heals and brings a powerful moment. But I don't know a person that won't die unless Jesus comes back. Before you. Anyway, anyway, hold deal. Some of you might not. Okay. Um, see, this is a king. He, he hasn't removed the battles but he has given you the victory. He hasn't removed your battles, but he has given you the victory. See, his lordship over our lives, his kingship over our lives, isn't to take us out of the struggle that we're going through. It's to continue to show us how he is going to overcome again and again and again and again. And is it going to look the way you thought it was going to look? Probably not. It's going to look a lot better, actually. You're going to grow a lot more, actually. You're going to see the depth of his love a lot more than you would have if it would have been easy, breezy, and beautiful, right? Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom that frees us from hoping in that which is temporal and frees us from enslavement to sin. See, those that were crying out Hosanna and wanting this king to come and save from Rome were seeking a, a temporal comfort. They were seeking uh, removal from oppressions. And so often, too often, we look for the same thing in other people. Say, I need you to come and, and help me be right. 
Uh, it's the same reason that Israel cried out for a king in their day. They looked around at the nations around them, saw how powerful they were, and said, we want a king like that that can take care of uh, all of our problems. And, and, and actually, so we can put the blame on him if it goes wrong. Um, Jesus is our king, and he has showed us what kind of king he is. He's a king that would come down to this earth and give his entire life for those that he loves. And so he calls us to the same thing. That in every battle that we face, every trial that we're in, to see that he has the victory for us. What kind of king are we expecting in Jesus? I pray that we're expecting one that is going to allow these headwinds to come in, is going to shape and form us into a beautiful creation that he's called us to be. I, I pray that we'll know that he hasn't removed the battle, but he has given us the victory. That he is the God who saves, not because we've read about it in books, but because we've seen it happen in our lives. Jesus is the king who brings the victory. So many of these had a misplaced hope. They're hoping in something that wasn't there. I pray that we would put our hope in that which is eternal, what Christ bought for us on the cross, a relationship with our Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for the way in which you came. God, we're so grateful that you didn't come according to our expectations, that you didn't come to... um, appease our longings but rather to win our hearts God we're so grateful that um, your sacrifice on the cross has restored us to the Father in heaven and that whatever we face Lord you are with us and you're bringing us the victory. God, help us not to hope in kings that can bring us comfort in this life. Lord, help us find our only hope in the King of all kings, King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.